Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us and it's great to see your smiling faces. All of you, you just look like you're, you're happy to be here. Uh, I want you to know I'm happy you're here. I'm always happy. Nobody else says I'm happy. Uh, today's our communion Sunday and in just a few moments we're going to gather around the communion table and we're going to receive the bread and the cup. And the reason we do that is because Jesus instructed us to do that. He asked us to. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. And so we're going to, as a church, gather for communion, and I'm going to lead us through that. But first, before communion, I'd like to share a message with you focusing in on our human need to feel safe and secure. Amen. Our human need to feel safe and secure. And if you're just joining us, we're right in the middle of a sermon series entitled Loving the One in the Mirror. And if you're wondering who that might be, let me take the mystery out of it. The person you're supposed to love, the one in the mirror, is you. And so here at the beginning of this year, 2024, we decided to devote an entire series, a whole series, seven installments, no less, to you. I should tell you how much we love you. We really do. Now, as announced previously, the goal of the series is to get better at the two greatest commands in the entire Bible. Namely, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your might and strength. And then the second commandment Jesus said, which is like the first, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's that last part, the yourself piece that we're going after with this series. And the reasoning is, if we can hit the sweet spot in our relationship with God, and in the process gain a healthier understanding of how he designed us and wired us, then maybe, just maybe, we can embrace and accept who we are. And with that kind of personal confidence and assurance, we can do a better job at the loving God and the loving others portion of that command. Remember with me the commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples just prior to his death, just a few hours before going to the cross. Jesus said, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Not just love one another, but as I have loved you. And so this whole idea of loving God and loving each other and ourselves is the benchmark of Christianity. All right. According to the experts, and now I'm talking about all the doctors and the researchers, the professionals and the specialists that tell us everything that we should know about ourselves, in their expert opinion, included in basic human necessity is the cry for safety and security. Safety is defined as protection from physical harm, injury, trauma, and abuse. 
The security portion includes shelter, having a roof over your head, financial provision, along with sustainable, healthy environments. And according to leading psychologist Abraham Maslow's inherent human needs chart, the demand for safety and security falls just under our basic need for food and clothing. So you can see just how important this is. We buy homes or rent living space, fully inspected and up to code. We purchase insurance policies on just about everything we own, including our lives. Car companies install airbags, cameras, seat belts, blind spot detection and driver assistance. We secure savings account, investment accounts, retirement accounts, along with emergency funds, or at least we should. And when we're not speeding or text messaging while we're driving, we welcome law enforcement officers and agencies in our neighborhoods and communities. And why do we do all this? Three words, safety and security. And again, according to the experts, these two concepts are essential to us. And when we don't feel safe and secure, it can create a tremendous amount of strength and uh, stress and anxiety. And it can cause us to become threatened and filled with fear. And on the other side of all of those unhealthy emotions, there's isolation, detachment, and distrust. And not a very good recipe for strong, vibrant, healthy, and wholesome relationships. In fact, just the opposite. And the more we struggle with these basic human necessities, the less we appreciate and love the one in the mirror. So, if you're here this morning, or if you're listening to me or watching online, and you're currently involved in some challenging situation, maybe for you it just seems like your world is falling apart, you find yourself navigating a severe storm right now and you're barely holding on, or maybe you're facing some major decisions in your life and they're gonna to be tough decisions and it's been difficult for you to pull the trigger, or if you feel abandoned by God and for some reason you just feel as though he's removed his blessing and his favor and his covering from you, then this morning, I'm gonna to try to point you in the right direction by reminding you, as we already have through the worship time, that we have a God in heaven who loves us, cares about us, and has good plans for us. He knows what we're going through. He really does. He knows how important our needs are and what we need. And even beyond the greatness and faithfulness of our God, you belong to a church community that cares about you, willing to stand by your side, pray for you, and support you in a tangible way. And so this morning, after the service, your circumstances and situation might not change, but I sure am praying your hope meter will. And that you'll have a lot more hope if you're in that situation today. All right, thank God for all of the therapists 
the teachers, the mentors, the, the experts, the life coaches and the counselors, the list goes on and on. We need them all. And I'm going to repeat that, even more so today than ever before. We need all of these people that I just mentioned. They are wonderful, brilliant, amazing gifts from God. Amen. However, when it comes to basic human needs, what we naturally need as human beings, the one with the most insight and the most perception should be the one who created us, do you think? And that would be God. And in his word to us, God gives us unequaled counsel, advice, and guidance. Everything that we have need of in our lives, every situation we find ourselves in, every direction we, we should be moving in or, or want to move in, there is an answer for all that in God's word. God's word to us provides tremendous insight. And so whenever I'm feeling uncertain, alone, or afraid, whenever the devil's toying with my spiritual security in God and trying to have a field day with me, which is often, I always go back to one powerful verse of scripture found in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And before I quote it, before turning there, let me just say in my humble opinion, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 is among the most notable and significant verses in the entire Bible. How I many know oh, that's a powerful statement to make? And please don't anyone misquote me. I know what 2 Timothy says about the Word of God, that all of the Scripture is God-breathed. And since God said it, it's important, it's essential. Everything God says is important. Some passages in the Word of God declare His promises. Some offer direction, wisdom, and guidance. There are some verses in the Bible that tell us what to do. Others tell us what not to do. Some Bible passages are informational. Some are transformational. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 is a transformational, powerful verse of Scripture. If you get it, if it sinks into your heart and you understand it, if you listen to it and allow the whole of the Scripture to captivate you, I promise you it will change your life. This one passage of Scripture. And I don't say that about all the verses, even though they're all important. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation, very important part, for those who are in Christ Jesus, very important part. Now most of you have heard me quote this passage countless times. The reason you've heard me quote it is because I quote it. And there's a reason why. I mean, this verse will just come out of me. It's, it's a part of me. It's a, it's a life verse. I've been able, by the grace of God, to understand the Jesus that's in that verse and what it means when it says that there's, therefore now, no condemnation. And so the reason why I quote this verse so often, the reason why I say it to you so many times is because in my pastoral travels, coming up on 40 years now, 
I have seen the devil use guilt and condemnation to trip up many Christian believers. I'm talking about good believers, mature Christians. I've seen the devil do that. Stripping them of their safety and security in God, causing them to second guess God's love and acceptance, and then leading them or pushing them to a place of isolation. You see, condemnation will always lead to uncertainty and insecurity. I'm going to say that again. Condemnation will always lead to uncertainty and insecurity. Let's just say recently you stubbed your toe on the couch or on a piece of furniture in your living room. And this time around, it hurts so bad. I mean, it was such a severe hit that you hobbled around the house for a couple of days. You thought you broke your toe. You couldn't even stand it. And all during the time that you're limping around in pain, the devil's lying to you. And the devil's telling you that the reason why you stubbed your toe is because God is mad at you and God's getting even for something you did you shouldn't have done. Can I tell you confidently with a good amount of certainty that you didn't run into that couch because God tripped you? You did it because either you're a clumsy person <laughs> or you weren't paying attention to the layout of the furniture. Probably looking at your phone. <laughs> God does not trip us. He doesn't get even with us for things that we do wrong. Now, over in England, there's a famous church. And on the front door of this church, there's this great big sign. It's, it's, the print is large enough for everyone to see it. If you're driving by, just passing by the church, you can't miss this sign. And here's what it says. This is the gate to heaven. It says it right on the church door. This is the gate to heaven. Everyone is welcome. Enter through this door. I mean, what a tremendous invitation to attend church there, wouldn't, wouldn't you, don't you think? I mean, who wouldn't want to experience a little piece of heaven, uh, you know, while we're here on this earth? Well, right below uh, that unbelievable invitation with the large print, there's a, another message in much smaller print. You can't see it from the street. In fact, you can't really see it or read it until you walk up on it. And here's what the second statement says. It says, sorry, but this door is usually kept locked. Please use the side entrance. <laughs> you see, this is precisely the way many people interpret the blessing and the favor of God. Sometimes the door is open and sometimes it's locked. Sometimes God is for me, and sometimes he's not. Would you believe me when I tell you that God does not lock us out? With God, the door is always open. He never closes the door or slams the door in our face. You see, it's our own condemnation and self-loathing and feelings of unworthiness that prevent us from experiencing God's best. Now, a few months ago, 
during a Sunday morning sermon, just like this one, I'm standing up here, I quoted Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Immediately following the service that day, one of the brothers who attends our church came running up to the, to the stage right here. He said to me, Pastor, really appreciate the service today, but you misquoted Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. He said, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 in the King James Version reads this way. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, comma, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. He said, you left that out. That's the most important part. And in, as nicely as I possibly could be, I said to him, you're right. You're right. I did leave that part out. And I left it out on purpose because it doesn't belong there. It's not in the original manuscripts. The King James Version added that phrase, hoping that we, it would be more understandable to us. But my dear brother, the King James Version is wrong, which, you know, has created a little bit of problems for me. <laughs> what? What? And just so you know, I love the King James Version of the Bible. It's a, it's a good version. It's an authorized version. In fact, for most of my sermon preparation, I look at the parallel Bible, which lists the King James and the NIV side by side. But the King James Version was written more than a thousand years after the original manuscripts. And I believe when you read the whole of, of the book of Romans, and especially Romans chapter 8, the God-ordained purpose of Romans 8.1 is to move us in a direction toward God and not away from God. Because we have a tendency like Adam and Eve when we make a mistake to hide and to run away from God. Romans 8.1 wants us to move towards God because we're all going to sin, we're all, all going to make mistakes, we're all going to fail God from time to time, and when that happens and we have a tendency to get out of God's presence, that's when the Holy Spirit uh, comes with a, a gentle and careful amount of conviction and reminds us that our help comes from the Lord. So when we're in a situation where we need God, instead of running away from Him, we should be running toward Him. Our help comes from the Lord in every situation, even when we make mistakes. Adding the phrase who walk by the Spirit and not after the flesh is way too confusing. It compels us to take our eyes off of God, to listen to the lies of the devil, and to focus in on our own shortcomings and failures, which is not consistent with the Word of God. Friends, I wish I had a small amount of money, just a couple of coins. Every time a Christian brother or sister told me that God is punishing them for wrongdoing, that the situation they find themselves in, the hardship that they're facing, the trial or the challenge is a punishment from God. And I understand. I get it. We're compelled to embrace a punitive mindset because that's a system we've been raised in from the time that we were very young. I mean, think about when you were a child and you did something wrong. When you purposely disobeyed your parents. Remember what was on the other side of that defiant behavior. Usually discipline or punishment. 
When we're in school and we don't play nice, or when we break one of the teacher's cardinal rules, what happens? Punishment or detention. When you're driving your car and you're running a little late, and so you blow through the stops, uh, through the red light, let's call it the red light. Normally you stop at it, but this time you went through it. And of all the rotten luck, there's a policeman right there in the intersection. He's witnessed your traffic violation, pulled you over. What's coming next? A ticket or punishment. In our world, especially here in the United States, we are programmed and indoctrinated to expect and believe there's always going to be a penalty for wrongdoing. Do you know what you call that? Justice. It's called justice, or the administration of law and order. And justice has to prevail in any law-abiding society. And such is the case with God. How I many you know the Bible says God is a God of justice? He really is. And as a God of justice, because he's perfect in all of his ways, that's what the scripture says, he has to punish sin and wrongdoing. But check it out. Our God, he chose to put all of that punishment, all of that penalty and payment on his own son. That's right, Jesus took the hit for us. Jesus paid the price for our sin. He became our substitute. He became sin for us even though he didn't know any sin. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 says this, He, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. Whose transgressions? Do you know what transgressions are? Wrongdoing. Not for his. He, he wasn't wounded or pierced or, or had, had his body broken because of his own sin, his own transgressions. It was for ours. He was crushed for our iniquities. You know what iniquities are? Wrongdoing, sins. It wasn't for his, it's for ours. So he was pierced, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The what? The punishment that brought us peace with God was placed on him, it was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jehovah God, the God of justice, the Bible says is also a God of mercy. Now, we have a difficult time negotiating the two. Sometimes we, we don't really know how to get in between the whole justice-mercy thing. But I know God's good at it. He's perfected it. He knows exactly what he's doing. And because of his mercy toward us, because he loves us so much, he placed all of that punishment and all of that penalty for sin on his own son. That means, listen to me, that means God does not punish you for your sins or for wrongdoing. I'm gonna say that again because that's gonna hit some of you right between the eyes. And this is the power of Romans 8.1. God does not punish you for bad behavior. The truth is, he, we will never face punishment or condemnation for sins that we repent of because Jesus already did. Now, my son Tony is probably watching the service from South Dakota, 
he's going to make fun of me now because I'm going to make a statement that what I just told you, the truth that I just conveyed to you, was worth you getting out of bed this morning. <laughs> it was worth you coming to church. And I'm going to say it again. We do not face punishment or condemnation for sins that we repent of because Jesus already did. Are you getting that? Yes, yes. Let me give you a different illustration. You might understand this one. How many of you have heard the term double jeopardy? Are you familiar with it? Do you know what it is? In the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution, we have what's called the double jeopardy clause. It states... A man or a woman cannot be convicted twice for the same crime. Can't be convicted twice for the same crime. That means once there's been a conviction, it's over. No law-abiding society will exact punishment or payment for the same offense twice. Jesus went to the cross, and the scripture says he hung there and died a horrific death on the cross for the sins of the world, for your sin and my sin. He paid full price. And just a couple moments before he hung his head and died, do you remember what he said? It is finished. There remains no more sacrifice, no more penalty for sin. Jesus paid the price for our sins. He took the punishment upon himself. And I have biblical backup for what I'm trying to explain to you and articulate to you this morning. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 tells us it's over. There's no more punishment. It's over. It says Ephesians 1, 7, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. That is our deliverance and salvation. Let's read every word. In Jesus, we have redemption, our deliverance and salvation through his blood, which paid the penalty, his blood paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin, past and present, in accordance with the riches of his grace. Jesus shed his blood for our sins. There's no more penalty to be paid. He paid full price. It is finished. It's over. Now, just to add a little balance to all this, so you don't go get out there and get crazy. <laughs> Please understand, there are consequences for wrongdoing. Right? If you determine or decide that you're going to walk outside of the commandments of God, you're going to disobey or, or disregard his laws and his commandments, the wisdom that he gives us in his word, then chances are you are going to suffer some consequences for that behavior. It's not God punishing you. It's not God tripping you up or making you stub your toe, but you may suffer consequences. The Bible instructs us to tell the truth, right? I mean, we're supposed to be truthful. If you decide to disregard that and you become untruthful, let's just say that yeah, you lie to your boss and you tell your boss that you're sick and you're not sick and you get caught again, and this time around, because you've done it so many times, your boss fires you, and now you don't have any money to pay your bills, don't blame God for being broke. It's not God's fault. It's not on God. It's on you because you disregarded the truth 
uh, that God gave to us in his word and you're paying the consequences for that. Again, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 tells us that God doesn't punish us for wrongdoing. Not when you're in Christ. It says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That verse, that truth, that passage, it causes us to run hard after the living God. Friend, when you realize the power in that verse and what Jesus did for us on the cross, when that, when that becomes a reality, you won't want to break God's heart or disobey him. You will want to run toward him. Every chance you get, you'll want to let him know just how grateful and thankful you are for what he did for you. So Romans 8, 1, it moves us in a direction toward God. And in Psalm 16, 8, David said this. He was always moving toward God. He said, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, listen, therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my body, my whole life will rest what? Secure. My body will also rest secure. The New Living Translation says, I will dwell in safety. There it is. Safety and security. God knows what we need. God understands the way, the way we're designed and how we are to interact in the world with him and with ourselves. Okay, we're going to move into our communion service at this time. If you haven't done so already, I'm going to ask you to just take one of the packets, uh, the bread and cup emblems. You'll find it on the back of the seat in front of you. I'll give you just a moment to do that. Uh, typically, we take just a few minutes and prepare our hearts for communion. And we're going to do that again this morning. But I believe we've already done a lot of that through the praise and worship time and some of the words of encouragement that Pastor Dave gave to us, prepared us for this communion service. The scripture says it was on the night Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper it ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's how the new covenant was sealed, was in his blood. Do this in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare or you proclaim the Lord's death, not his resurrection, you proclaim his death till he comes. The bread you hold in your hand right now, by Jesus' own admission, it represents his body that was broken for you. And his body was badly broken on that cross, friends. Just, just read about it in the scripture. What they did to him. It was broken that we could have healing. And then this cup, it represents his shed blood for the remission and the forgiveness of sins. He shed his blood so that we could be whole. Now just a few moments ago during my message, everything I said to you, about no penalty, no punishment, no payment for sin. It applies to you if, listen, if you've already made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
remember the verse, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. However, if you have yet to do that, if you've not fully committed your life to him in a sincere way, if you've not bowed your knee at the cross or confessed with your lips the Lord Jesus, that puts you in a little different category. See, the scripture says one day you're going to have to stand for your actions and your behavior. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but for the people who are not, scripture is very clear. You will have to give an account for your life. And I'm not trying to scare you. Really, I'm not. But that whole concept, if you ask me, is rather intimidating. But we could take care of it this morning. That's the great news. The scripture gives us good news and great news. The good news is you can have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life right now, today, this morning. All you have to do is take that step toward Jesus. The scripture says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Your name goes in the Lamb's Book of Life and you have eternal life with God forever and ever. And then Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 applies to you. So let me get you to just bow your head for a moment. I'm not in the practice of dragging this out. I'm not going to start now. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is moving on some of your hearts. I could sense it during the praise and worship time. I just knew that when we came to this moment, you're going to have that spiritual thumping in your heart and you're going to know that the Lord is talking to you. Some of you know you're not in the spiritual place that you should be. You made a commitment to Jesus at one time. Maybe you've served the Lord in the past, but you're involved in something right now that you know is not right. I want you to know there's no condemnation for you. But get yourself back to the place that you should be. It takes one step, one word of repentance, and that's it. We'll do that this morning. For those of you who've never really surrendered your life to God, you can do that right now. I can pray a prayer for you. You can open your heart to God. And everything I said this morning applies to you. So I'm wondering, without shame, Everybody's got their heads bowed, their eyes closed. Who would say to me, Tony, I need to make that kind of commitment to the Lord and I want to do it this morning. I need to get back to the place I need to be with God. If that's you, could I get you to just lift your hand up for a minute? Hold it up. Thank you. Hold it up. I'm going to pray for you. I want to see who I'm praying for. Thank you. So many hands. Go ahead and put them back down. Father, thank you for the beauty of your presence in this place this morning. Lord, you've been faithful to us. Your word says that you inhabit our praise, and Lord, we've been faithful to try and praise you. And you have come to us, and you have visited us. So many hands today, Lord, I believe some are hands of rededication to you, some are hands of salvation. And for those, Lord, who are making a commitment to you for the very first time, we repent of our sins. We ask for your forgiveness. We confess with our lips, Jesus is Lord. And we thank you for your gift of salvation. Thank you for what you did on the cross. You took the hit for us. You carried our punishment and penalty 
on your own shoulders, even though you never sinned, you did it for us so that we wouldn't have to face it, not in this life or in the life to come. Thank you for these gifts of salvation throughout the congregation, those online, those listening to my voice. Lord, thank you for the healing flow of your broken body and shed blood in this place this morning. Thank you, Lord, for every prayer that's represented here among the people. You are a God who heals, saves, rescues, delivers, sets free. You're a great God, and we worship you. Let's take the bread and the cup together.